Hi, and welcome to Ethics in Marketing podcast. My name is Mikhail Mizgin, and today I'm joined by Team Sarantonio. We marketers walk around and look at everything around us from a marketing perspective, how this works and how that works. One type of marketing that is very prominent is non-profit. But I didn't realize the full extent of messiness in this niche until I spoke with Tim. What kind of marketing is acceptable? Is it any different from quote-unquote normal marketing? Is it okay to A-B test images depicting war victims? How do people feel about spending donations on marketing? How do you balance transparency in marketing communication? There are many ethical concerns around marketing in the non-profit sector. And this is the topic of today's episode. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hey, well, thank you for, for having me. I'm really excited. I'm on a lot of different podcasts, but not marketing ones. So th- I might be kind of new to your audience, actually. Well, that's good. You know, some fresh perspectives. Yeah. So could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. My name's Tim Sarantonio. I'm director of corporate brand at Neon One, which is a technology and services company in the nonprofit technology vertical. Um, my background is not marketing, uh, and and even in the last ten years, I actually started in sales. Don't hate me, folks. But uh, before that, I, I was a fundraiser for charities in the United States. So. Uh, that's actually my background, and and so I've had an interesting journey even to to get to this podcast today. Okay, yeah, thank you. And today we're going to talk about ethical problems in marketing nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting niche. It's quite the niche, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Tim, we spoke earlier about this, and you pointed out an interesting problem in marketing a philanthropic project or however you want to call it. So when you market a charity, your goal is to increase donations and you have this conflict where you want to make your organization look efficient, Mm -hmm. but only to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. which inevitably involves lack of transparency, if not more. So... Should we start with diving into this problem? Yeah, uh, and 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 maybe we can s- step back and and kind of help define it for the audience more too, right? Like, sure. When I'm talking about charities and nonprofits, and they're called different things depending on where you are, right? NGOs, uh, trusts. If you go over to the UK, um, uh, they have a lot of different charitable trusts. Uh, we call them nonprofits or charities in the US and Canada. So there's even the reference to something like the third sector, which I've always been found interesting because you got the kind of government, you have private businesses, and that can be really big multinational corporations. It could be small mom and pop restaurants, right? And cafes. Nonprofit is, is a tax designation many times. So we have to look at it from the perspective of what is their intended output with a business. And this is where I kind of want to use the ethical divide for us is 
in a business, the ultimate goal is revenue generation. That's kind of the big outcome that you're supposed to have. On the nonprofit side, and this is drawn from an author, uh, a guy named Phil Buchanan has a really good book called Giving Done Right. And it's actually for anybody like in the audience who's interested in this type of concept. You don't have to work in the nonprofit space to get something from it. But he talks about how nonprofits, charities have a different outcome metric that they're beholden to versus for-profit. Like even at the end of the day, mom and pop cafe, you got to pay workers. You need money for that. Nonprofits, their success is based off of how many kids did we teach? How many dogs did we shelter? How many you know dollars did go toward cancer research? That's actually the 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 money is a conduit into something else. So that's where there's moral implications here because it could be argued that it has a higher calling than just revenue. Okay. So why is this differentiation important for, you know, for our conversation, for looking at this from ethical point of view? Like Yeah. It's where the money comes from and where the money goes. Okay? So let's look at Patagonia as an example of what just happened with them. Mm -hmm. They basically, everyone kind of flipped out because they said, we're not, we're going to change our business model to actually put the money into charitable trusts. And everyone lost their minds because they're like, that's not what you're supposed to do. And for them, putting the money into a nonprofit charitable trust, tax stuff aside, they're saying money isn't going to solve climate change. And it is a moral imperative for us to actually put the money toward this thing and in their view to save the planet. So th this is where the moral question comes in is, one, do charities have a monopoly, so to speak, on social responsibility. So if we step back and ask, are businesses ultimately actually charitable or is that marketing? <laughs> if they do something that is socially responsible, like are nonprofits the only ones who can be charitable and social responsible because everybody else is looking toward the bottom line? I think that's kind of an interesting question. I don't know. We can unpack that. But when you get down to it, I think the ethics comes into there's kind of a set line in the sand that you're drawing on whatever issue that that you might be doing. And if it's climate change or cancer or trafficking kids or something like that, a nonprofit's outright taking a stance on this. Most businesses don't have to think about that. Yeah, so the Patagonia case is very interesting and definitely is used as an example pretty much uh, mm -hmm. In every conversation I have, yeah, uh, you know, at the same time, it's really, it's not a demonstrative case. I mean, you don't see companies like that, but they, yeah, they, they really show that maybe the purpose of a business should be redefined, at least that's from their point of view. Yeah. But that's maybe uh, a bigger philosophical discussion. Yeah, and obviously probably bigger than an hour podcast uh, for sure. Uh, so we want to kind of keep it on task, right? And so 
you have movements within businesses like conscious capitalism, right? But they're still on the nonprofit side, their own questions that we're grappling with, that our vertical is grappling with on, on acceptance of money, right? Who are we mm-hmm. going to take money from? Where are we going to do paid advertising, right? Like, will we do Twitter now because of what, what mm-hmm. you know, is happening with the platform? As an example, nonprofits still have to market. And so they still have all these questions on spend and time. The difference is that, one, they're horribly under-monetized compared to I would make an argument even the the uh, they're very much akin to small businesses in that much of their audience is local and much of their budget is very very restricted compared to a lot of the other businesses out there 97% of nonprofits in the United States are going to make under five million dollars in revenue a year 92 percent under one million in revenue a year but they are going to ask people to do volunteering they're gonna kind of ask can you please give me this free thing like businesses can't do that They, they people make fun of them if they ask for that or they say you're violating labor laws but with a nonprofit. You can go out and get people to volunteer for you, and and so there's a weird line in in terms of respect of resources that we have to draw. It's a very messy vertical compared to other ones. Like my job's hard, man. Like this is not easy because they they have moral fortitude in some ways, and then they don't want to pay for it <laughs> because they don't have the money. So you have to be very careful. So these organizations are run just like businesses, except that you know you you have uh, you still have KPIs. You have to structure your organization. Yeah. You have to build efficient processes. But because you have the underlying mission of the organization that is completely different from a normal business, yeah, it creates a very interesting uh, situation where. You can't simply use "quote unquote" normal business practices. It's a huge debate. The should nonprofits be run like businesses? One, and it doesn't matter what country you are, because it ultimately comes down to what you just said, and the KPIs are different. I was even on TikTok because I'm a forty-year-old man on TikTok, so that's something that I'm testing out. Thank you, Todd <laughs> Klauser. And so I did a little video on how the nonprofit space needs different KPIs than businesses. Some things we should look at when it comes to revenue, but I think where we actually can prove, and this is, I have a strong belief in this because I've straddled both worlds. I actually think that businesses can learn a lot from nonprofits on how to make people happy. And so looking at the things around what would be traditionally seen as maybe NPS scores, things like that, overall barometers of happiness, nonprofits need to pay attention to that a lot. Because with a product that I'm selling, 
whether it's a physical good, a digital item like a SaaS thing, I can say, hey, I bought this and this has value to me. But psychologically, when you give, the benefit has to come first because why, why are you going to give otherwise? You're not getting something in the mail <laughs> unless it's a postcard saying thank you. So you have to actually tap into the happiness factor or the emotional factor at the very least first. And there's studies that have been shown this too. So I feel like businesses can learn a lot of non- from nonprofits on that side. So we can't be run exactly like businesses, but for revenue, yeah, actually there's a lot that we can learn there on the nonprofit space when it comes to, to efficiency. I do agree. And that includes spending money on overhead. So there's a big debate in the nonprofit sector on, is it okay to pay people salary? Sounds weird, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because the argument that you might hear is, well, if I pay things for operations, if I pay salary, if I give good benefits, that takes away from the mission. I'm not feeding as many many, uh, cats with cancer. (laughs) <laughs> if uh, if I pay people salary. And so it, the reality is that you have to pay people a good salary if you want them to be able to serve the mission. But that's where we get into the ethical discussion on, but if you're transparent about, I'm spending money on salary, I'm putting money toward this, does that then turn off people saying, but then you're not doing it for the kids? Or the trees or whatever. Do you see the, you know, and I don't want to like just talk at you, man. This is a conversation, right? Yeah, let's look at this from this perspective. Let's say a nonprofit organization exists. And let's assume it's going to hire people. Is it going to hire people that share the passion for the cause that Mm -hmm. this organization is trying to address? Or is it looking for professionals? So the reason I'm asking this question, because... I think the next question I'm going to ask will be about how people at a nonprofit organization who have to run marketing, for example, yep. you, you can run many different things at an organization, but for example, if they run marketing, the way they're going to do that is going to be affected by their personal beliefs, their personal understanding of uh, the cause, whether they care about it or maybe... If we look at this from pure business perspective, that this is, you know, this is an organization and you need to find good talent. So you're going to just look for the talent and no matter whether they share your passion for for that cause. So it's, it's kind of related to the problem like hiring, not hiring, because if you don't hire you, by definition, will have people who volunteer, therefore they share the passion for the cause because that's why they're volunteers. But if you hire, do you hire the same volunteers? You just keep paying them? Or do you really like create professional organization and you just look for, for the right skill? Ooh, that's the, that's the big question, right? Like, I love that question because it gets to the root of... of there's a phrase that we use internally here, a budget is a moral document. And I think businesses can think of it that way too. It's, it's where you put your values. And one, passion can't pay rent, <laughs> right? So that's only going to get you so far. 
but you can teach skill sets. You can invest in professional development. I'm a very good example of that, where I went to school for a degree in post-colonial theory, and then I went at, and at the National University of Ireland in Galway, and then I went and said, I'm going to go into academia, so I'm going to get another master's degree. And I'm going to go to Teachers College, Columbia University, and I'm going to learn about the history of education. And that got me a job in a coffee shop in Chicago and a massive amount of debt. So I had no background in fundraising. I had no background in marketing or sales. And it took me a long time to learn those skills, but they were teachable what has been required, which is hard to teach, if not impossible, is that passion. You have to care because you can definitely hire people who are going to show up in the nonprofit space and send out really awesome tweets or design amazing ad copy. But if the core why is not established, because look, folks, I know that we all love every single PE-backed startup in Silicon Valley or Miami. All the founders are going to think, well, they are going to love it just as much as me. Why are they not working 80 hours a week? And this is like one of the few things at this point that I do agree with with Gary V, because he's kind of turned into a bit of a parody of himself. But he does talk about like they don't care as much as you. And same with founders in nonprofits. They don't care as much as you. They're not as personally as affected as you were when you lost your sister-in-law, right? Like, like that happened to me. There's a personal connection in some of the charities that I'm involved with or founded. And people who support it or even volunteer with, they're never going to have as tight a tie. But they have to have something that they identify with to actually do the job. The core why needs to be established. There's not, there's, it's no coincidence that demand generation, you know, hashtags on, on uh, LinkedIn are just filled with storytelling. And that's because if you don't have that core why, the Simon Sinek thing, it doesn't matter whether you're a business or a charity. But I think that it's a heck of a lot easier to teach somebody skills in marketing or revenue generation or what have you than the opposite way. You can't teach passion, but you can inspire passion. No, I agree. It has to come yeah. within. Yeah, I agree with this. Yeah, let's assume you have an, an organization filled with passionate people who really root for the cause, who want to make the change. And then you have a job to do. You, you have to actually promote your nonprofit organization Yep. You have to acquire donors. You have to generate money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where another problem comes up. And the problem is about how to tell a story that you want to tell, how to communicate to the public, to your potential donors. And that's what I mentioned before. Like, How do you do that in a way that is transparent, but at the same time attractive? Because if you uh, employ radical transparency, mm -hmm. it's going to be unattractive. So how I look at this, you could use it's a standard philosophical term, consequentialism. Okay. You don't really look at the action. You don't judge the action that you are making. 
as long as the consequences, that's what really matters for you. So for example, it's okay to lie if it's going to save some kids. You know, so you really care about consequences versus another one, a very, you know, a very common uh, moral system where you, no matter what consequences, I can't lie, you know, lying is bad, no matter what. And there is, of course, like a ton of discussions about this because there could be a very uh, oh, yeah talk talk about do do questions. we have enough time? Right, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, you're pushing me here. You're pushing me here. This is hard. It's kind of like the trolley problem. If anyone's ever seen, you That's know, the, the good one. place, which of course is from you know it's before the the good place, but the trolley problem. You know, uh, are you going to kill? one person are you going to kill 10 people right and oh that's a tough one because in the nonprofit space you see the consequences path where it's like the greater good mm-hmm. i can lie i can cheat i can steal as long as it gets me to a place that is a higher moral calling and the issue that i have on that side and i'm going to play a bit both sides here folks but you you get what's we're seeing in the effective altruism camp, which I don't agree with. Effective altruism is not a philosophy that I personally subscribe to. And there's a lot of great critiques, both on the U.S. and in the U.K. Uh, Rodri Davies is a thought leader in the nonprofit space out of the U.K. And he's written extensively on the issues with effective altruism. But long-termism is the thing that I actually get very worried about. And this is where Mr. Musk comes in because he generally is saying, look, none of this matters because we're going to go to Mars and it's going to be so much better. So we got to do everything to get people to Mars. That's the that's long-termism. It doesn't matter what happens on Earth because we're going to get people into space. And so if you are not doing anything to get people into space and colonization of other planets, then you're taking away. So I'm sorry that your grandma's dying of cancer, but we're not going to do anything about that. And that's, that's the militant extension point of consequentialism. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with that because, because the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Yeah, no, that's the hyper rationalism. Yeah, it's, it's it's really easy. It's a slippery slope, right? <laughs> you can sacrifice. You know, the justification is that you work for humanity, but you end up sacrificing humanity. There's there's a balance in anarchist theory between mutual aid and mutual responsibility that I take a lot of inspiration from where it's looking at the collective, but it's also centering the role of the individual against the collective, where the, the, the individual should not be doing harm to others, but in turn, that that harm should not be coming against themselves. And so it, that's why you have to have a balance here. And where charities come into play is, I don't think that they're above anything, by the way. I think that businesses can make moral decisions and have moral stances. And I had actually make an argument that some of the best businesses out there are the ones that will not compromise on their core moral values. But 
And in turn, you see a lot of charities that when they start compromising that core value, that core reason why they exist for, and they put money above people, because that's a, that's a, that's a, a value that we have. That's a rule that we have at our company is put people first, then money, right? And especially because we work with small charities, by doing that, it means that that can drill down into, we're not going to send people to collections, for instance. That's not working with them as a as a person. That's outsourcing the issue for revenue collection, right? No, we're going to get into the trenches and we're going to work things out. And if they can't pay, then they can't pay and we'll figure that out. But but like there's moral decisions that get made that if you start making compromises, then you're you're backsliding and it and it starts to accelerate very quickly. Okay. So what's about the transparency? Yeah. Uh, withholding information consciously for the sake of potential benefits for the greater good, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're coming it's, out with all the hits early. It's, it's tough, I know. It is tough. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's This is great because it, it, we have to grapple with these types of questions. You don't need to work with nonprofits to think about this type of stuff. I know it's a lot funner yeah. to like focus on, you know, how can I design carousel content for LinkedIn and get my, you know, number of hits up, which I didn't experiment last week. And it was, you know, sorry, Sam Brown, it didn't pop up as much as I thought it was going to. It was fun, but I digress. There's a great book on transparency called New Power. And it was written by one of the founders of the Giving Tuesday Global Movement for Generosity, which I subscribe to. And on the transparency versus withholding side i am more on the let's build in public let's talk about it let's address our problems but my team i have some members of my team that that freaks them out on the marketing side where mm-hmm. where i'm not we're not going to go moral we're not going to go you know we're one step away from from genocide right now we're going to draw it back into the practical day-to-day folks and where transparency versus holding on to information, you have to make these decisions even at a very small tactical level. Marketing, okay? Campaigns. Let's just talk about campaign planning in 2023. For me, I want to talk about the ideas. I want to take the ideation stage, kind of if you take your Refine Labs revenue R&D thing, Chris Walker, and you go stage one, ideation and experimentation. Do you throw that out into the wild and see what people think? Well, for my marketing team, some members, they're like, don't do that. It's not ready. What are you doing? It's going to make us look unprepared. And in some cases, they're absolutely right. So you have to make decisions on what will you go to your community or what will you go to social media for feedback or decisions on transparency in your decision-making process versus now we're going to hold this close to our chest, right? Like, because you have to make that decision on when you want, like, will you take away from your lightning strike moment capabilities if you are too transparent? with your planning process, with your data, with your stuff, where's that proprietary advantage that you might hold on to? And so if you make those decisions on the base tactical level, those actually bleed up into the larger philosophical questions too, in my opinion, where where you kind of like start to pressure test philosophically where you stand. It's the same. It's, it's even the ungating versus gating conversation. It's the same 
argument. You can't just ungate. You have to ungate strategically. I I would say that the same level of transparency discussion it goes all the way to the top there. Strategic transparency. So you say proprietary advantage. Yeah. So is this a thing in nonprofit? Is there a competition for donations? Like how do I, you know, uh, outperform other charities? Mm. Which you know, which is actually uh, an ethical problem in itself. Competition so you, between. You, oof, yeah. yeah, man, you you are on fire. Um, okay. So I think it's an audience perception thing too. Donors, based off of the retention data, which is just the fancy, you know, we use donor retention as our KPI for the sector. And that's just churn data on individual people giving. And so donors, the data shows from things like Bank of America, from our own internal data set that we have for where people are donating, because our clients are the nonprofit, but we collect donation information. So we have kind of our own CRM, for instance, and we're collecting individual donations. And we analyze this in ways that still respect donor privacy, but it shows that people are donating to multiple charities And in many cases, those charities are very similar to each other. So the donor cares about an issue. And many times they don't actually have loyalty to the individual call, like nonprofit, Mm -hmm. which means that the idea of competition, they hate. They don't, they don't really want to say this nonprofit does it better than that nonprofit. They want to solve a problem and they don't care who does it, but the nonprofit has their own operational revenue numbers that they have to hit. And so a lot of times there is arguments on money where I've seen charities local to me, for instance, that are in food sustainability undercut the work of other nonprofits and say, don't give that to them or don't, you know, don't go work with them or stuff like that. So if we take the general premise that donors want to see causes as opposed to individual nonprofits succeed, which I do believe. People can fall in love with an individual nonprofit, but there's there's reasons that are non-monetary for that. But a lot of donors want their donor dollars to, to go toward a cause. So where it gets interesting is if there's an opportunity for nonprofits to work together toward a larger cause, will they take it? Or will they try to hold on to the donors that they have and where we've seen success is if you loosen up and you say, I will work with this nonprofit or we will go in together on this cause. And maybe my individual organization might not get as much of the pie, but our outcomes are going to be greater. And so that's where understanding what you are trying to do and the most effective and efficient way to get there is important. It's the same with investing in salary. It's the same in investing in other resources to get you toward that goal because there will be a limit on where you can do things by yourself. That, that is very clear, actually. Let's go back to um, transparency yep. and problems related to transparency. What are the perceived risks of transparency when it comes to Nonprofit and marketing nonprofit, where they usually, you know, make people anxious. Donor trust. Yeah, trust. 
if you're too transparent, you feel that people might not give you money. And the difference between the for-profit world and a nonprofit world is that delicate trust. Like, I hate American Airlines. I hate any time I have to, to fly American Airlines. But there's some instances where I cannot – I don't trust them at all. But they're still likely to get my money in some situations because I have to. With a nonprofit, there's a high likelihood that if I don't trust them, I can put my money toward another cause that is similar enough that my passion will be fulfilled. So this is where nonprofits have it harder in some ways because of what you even even were referencing, the proprietary nature. Uh, There's very few nonprofits that can point to and say they have a proprietary hold on the market in like cancer research, right? Like we're all working toward that. Susan G. Komen doesn't, isn't the only game in town for breast cancer. In fact, there's many more efficient organizations out there than, than them for, for breast cancer research. But there's a delicate balance between that transparency and what donor expectations are in terms of the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a few examples we can point to there, like Wounded Warrior Project, where it kind of could go awry when people learn about your operational expenses and have a misunderstanding of where that money may be going. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of counterintuitive because usually trust and transparency are connected in a linear fashion in terms of the bigger the transparency the bigger the trust. Yep. In this case, you say that the fear of being too transparent can lead to the loss of trust. Yes. And is it because donors usually will have hard times understanding the processes? Like, all right, so if you make your processes entirely transparent, people are going to misinterpret them. That's the reason. I think so. I think it just comes down to we want charities to exist in a fan- fantasy world where all the amazing good happens, but we don't want people to get paid for it. Hmm. <laughs> we want the magic money to flow only toward the mission, and that's just not true. You need mm-hmm. to pay people, and this is going to be the drum I'll continue to beat is you need to pay people in order to make good happen. But you still, at the same time, need to keep your eye on the ball toward your core why. Because there are instances where people, of course, are very well paid in the nonprofit world, but they're not doing anything. You see this with private foundations, family foundations, things like that, Uh, celebrity foundations in particular, where the money doesn't actually go to anything other than paying the staff and the marketing around the good that they're, they're doing. Kind of the absolute worst case scenario that you see is what uh, happened at UPenn and the kids' charities. And it just was kind of this terrifying pipeline of children toward this, this predator 
right? Like that's that's the nightmare scenario, and that's not standard by any means, of course, but it is where you have to have a more there's more there's I just feel ultimately now that you're making me confront this, there's just so many moral landmines that nonprofits have to navigate that like I've taken for granted because I've just kind of like had the weight of it on my shoulders thinking about it for so long that like now that I'm actually confronting it, it's like, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of stuff here. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard because if you're too transparent, people think that you're, uh, if you pay your people and you're too transparent about paying your people, then people think that you're not doing your mission. And then you still need to pay people to do your mission. And then you don't want to pay too much because then you're not spending money toward the mission. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a mess. It's this a mess. entire vertical is a mess. Yeah, so, so because I'm thinking like, imagine if you have marketing budget that is measured in hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And people don't think uh, about marketing as something good. And if like if they care about the cause, and then they see an organization that trying to uh, solicit a donation from them. Yep. And then they see, oh, they want me to pay $10 to them. And their marketing budget is $500,000. And yeah. I hate marketing. Yeah. I mean, um, take the longstanding war that seemingly will never end between sales and marketing and make it even weirder when there's no product other than people's goodwill that you're 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 trying to rely on where fundraisers I actually got interviewed at the job that I'm currently at 11 years ago and the owner and founder of the company said I need people who have tech experience nonprofit experience and sales experience and I said I've done fundraising which is harder than sales and I got the job and then I went into sales and Sales was easier than fundraising because at least I had a good and a service that I could promise people upon the contract. Whereas with fundraising, again, you're trading on people's emotions. And so you still have to balance that. And that even comes into on the marketing side, imagery, ethical use of imagery. That's big. That's very big. Okay. And there's even been case studies shown where, okay, let's take uh, Syria, okay? Fundraising imagery. There's been psychological studies that show that, that donors will activate at a higher rate and actually donate when you use one person versus a group. And we even did a presentation on this and we gave people a heads up that there's going to be some upsetting imagery. But... They, we showed a picture, and there's been been there was some analysis done between the two in terms of appeals, where international aid organizations they showed a bunch of people at a fence, Syrian refugees at a fence, and it's a bunch of faces, and then the one little boy who drowned on the beach, and obviously the little boy who drowned on the beach brought more money in. Is that ethical? I mean, that's the problem. That's what happened. That's an actual thing that happened. And as a father, that's very upsetting to me, you know? So you have to ask yourself, there's so many things that you have to ask yourself in terms of the exploitation 
of imagery and the copy that you're using and the things that you're using. And you, and every charity deals with this. Not everything's happy. That's the, that's what the very one of the very first things that you brought up in this this podcast is is about like what are we trying to do? And where is it going? And what are we the questions that we have to grapple with? And and imagery is one of the marketing items that a nonprofit has to live their values and has to live their mission. And there's so many questions that come up with what photo do I use? You know, am I just going to show a bunch of sad people? Am I just going to show the homeless? Do I show the homeless that they're doing bad? Did I get that person's opt-in? <laughs> to use that imagery? Did I discuss that with them and their story? And a lot of times nonprofit people might not have the time. It's not that they're making moral decisions on purpose that might be tenuous. It's that they're just, we've always done it this way, or we we just have this on hand, or my board told me that we need to get hit this number, and this is what I'm going to do. And they don't they make these decisions not because they're bad people, and it's not even that they they are thinking about it. They just are just trying to get their work done. They're trying to do a hundred things, and they're only getting paid to do ten. That's where a lot of this comes down to. It's such a hard, hard sector to work in. Yeah, and that's another aspect where transparency is not that straightforward. The issue of yeah. transparency is not that straightforward in terms of, like, you don't know, maybe transparency can actually damage yeah. your results. Mm -hmm. And because, because you're trying to help a certain cause, you're trying to do a good thing. That's, you know, what nonprofit is about. Yep. So that in this case, like consequentialism seems like a very appropriate system because, okay, so maybe radical transparency in theory is good, but if I'm going to end up collecting no money to help refugees, yeah. then what's the point? What's the Should, point? Maybe I just do nothing. Again, it's strategic transparency. And I think it's also leaning into your community, right? And that's the thing that we are seeing that's effective is focusing on not the individualism around it, but what is the larger community that is being impacted by this? What do they say? Because let's say you're helping refugees. Are you making decisions alongside that community? Are they part of the conversation? Do they have a seat at the table? Are they represented in what imagery is used? What copy is used? It's just the same thing that we, we talk about in Demand Gen is focus on your community. Build that community. Big C community versus small C community. All that type of stuff. And it still comes down to who's got a seat at the table. Is this just a marketing gimmick? Or, or do, are we taking this seriously? And if you're just slapping names on things and saying that you're practicing something, it doesn't mean that you're doing it. Because the, the, the people who you are working with, because again, donors, they ultimately are trying to solve a problem. And let's say the problem is helping refugees from Syria or from Ukraine or wherever. And then it turns out that it's very evident that 
those folks are not represented at the organization's operations, uh, the donors will hear about it. This is where dark social comes into play. You hear about nonprofits. There's always that one nonprofit in your community that is like, you know, don't go work over there. People know. People will hear. So I think the way that you can you can do this, no matter what business that you are, or if you're a charity, no matter what, is involve people in the discussion and have a meaningful presence at the table for them. And yet another aspect of transparency I wanted to ask about, actually, I wanted to ask about it at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. conversation, is that when marketing nonprofit, you want to make a certain image of the, let's say, the overall picture uh, around the problem that you're trying to solve. You want to look that you work efficiently at your nonprofit so that can make people trust you, that yep. you know that they think, okay, I'm investing my money, basically. That's like an investment towards a solution of a certain problem. But at the same time, you don't want to uh, draw a picture that you are so efficient that because that might make people like, oh, they're so good, the issue might be already almost solved. Maybe I want to donate to something else. Mission accomplished. I don't need your money anymore. Boy, do nonprofits not want to say that. Yes, that one. It is extraordinarily easy, at least in the United States, to start a nonprofit and, and in turn, extraordinarily difficult to stop the operations of a nonprofit. We have a partner of ours that we've worked with, Professor Elizabeth Searing at the University of Texas in Dallas. And she wrote about zombie nonprofits where they're just they're just kind of on paper, they're continuing on because you can keep filing paperwork to keep a nonprofit alive. And this doesn't happen for every organization, but we've had very few like it's memorable. Let's just put it that way. I personally signed over 800 nonprofits and I still remember like the two in the history of our company. And we've had thousands of organizations use things too, where one said, you know what? We don't need the CRM anymore because we did it. Mission accomplished. We don't need any more money. We've done the thing that we set out to do. It's like one. I can remember one charity. What was it about? It was like an environmental conservation thing in California. It was like hyper-specific. Oh, I see. Right? Like they had a very action-oriented thing. And they're like, we did the thing, so we don't need it anymore, right? And that actually goes back to the foundational. We're going to do a super quick history lesson. Why do we have charities at this point? Back in the day, the British, like charities and philanthropies existed since the Greek times and before, right? Like religious tithing and things like that. But the idea of the modern charity actually started in the United States because what happened is that British common law indicated you needed to have a end point for the charitable trust that you were starting up. We are going to house orphan children. And in the end of 25 years, that building's getting shut down. That's how the law worked. And then what happened is that a bunch of rich people in the Gilded Age said, I want the New York Public Library to exist, and I do not want it to get shut down. 
that's where the, basically the first charitable trust that did not have an endpoint. They had to like sue New York State to let the New York Public Library exist indefinitely. And that is where the idea of indefinite charitable giving began, was in the early 1900s, because we wanted a library. But what happened then is once that floodgate got open, then any cause in any vague sense could then be forever. And it's just kind of overgrown in some ways. There you go. A little history for folks. And so how do people working for a nonprofit organization, and specifically marketing, because marketing is about communication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do they balance this? Uh, or do like do usually donors understand that the issues, as you said, donors usually care about the problem that yeah. they contribute to. It seems like they don't need to be reminded about that that organization need continuous support. Well, if we look at the donor retention data, only twenty percent. It's actually 18.6, technically. Only 18.6% of people who give in year one stay for year two. <laughs> so they do need that. They reminded. do need it, actually. Yeah. So marketing is critically important. The issue is that nonprofits have underinvested in marketing. They focused on revenue generation as opposed to kind of building that top funnel awareness funnel down, right? They're only, I describe it as kind of like an ecosystem almost where you have kind of like a flow of water in and then some people flow out, that's natural, but then others might kind of fall into the larger area uh, for kind of higher investment. But one of the big trends that I'm seeing going into 2023 is a much greater understanding and, and prioritization of marketing. Fundraising has metrics and standards up to wazoo in our sector, but marketing is the Wild West. And most organizations are not investing in it, but many of them agree that if they stop investing in it, they will ultimately... I've had community calls where I said, what happens if you stop social media? What would happen? They said immediately, nothing. But we will lose money down the line. and so. I think that more and more nonprofits are going to to grapple with marketing questions, and hopefully this is where we can learn from demand generation because you're starting with value. You're not starting with, I'm just going to get that donation from somebody, right? That's lead gen for the nonprofit space, and most of them have been. If you think the for-profit world's bad in terms of lead gen versus demand gen, folks, you haven't seen nonprofit marketing. Check out Giving Tuesday in your inbox, and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Professor Jen Shang of the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy talks about philanthropic psychology and why people give, and the gold standard is identity-based giving. You have situational giving. That's lead gen. Give because I asked. Then you have relational giving. Give because I know you. Identity-based giving is where you want to be at. I give because I am a generous person, and I think that I am a generous person. Hence, I am going to give to this nonprofit because it makes me feel generous. That's very difficult to do, but that's, that's marketing. 
that's actually the gold standard in marketing is identity based. Well, hopefully this can be applied more and more and nonprofit because I, you know, I see that there could be this issue of accountability. Maybe there is a demand for more transparency in nonprofit. And then we have the same problem, like how do you account for something that people don't understand? How do you account for marketing without causing people to become suspicious about where they donate money? It's about understanding your audience. That's the thing. And it's about talking with donors and understanding what, what drives their passion and what tends to drive their passion is the effectiveness of delivering on the cause. And so if you can communicate to them, I need to pay people and I need to invest in good marketing. I need a good website. I need decent email. Yes, I would like to send you snazzy direct mail to tell you the story of what we're doing to solve the problem. And I think that that balance is definitely possible. You see this with with really, really good nonprofits, regardless of their size, is that they're stopping using things like, for every dollar raised, only 10 cents goes toward operations. It's like, that's not good marketing anymore. That's bad transparency, because you're setting yourself up for, for failure down the line. But if you focus in on, we were able to do something amazing, and here's that story, and here's that individual, right? Homeboy Industries, amazing nonprofit that works with reforming felons and giving them work to be proud of. And they started, I believe, in, in California. But they do it a real, like, I've played the video of that story where the priest who founded it talks about the impact that that has. And it's about an individual. And you start the journey hearing about the bad, but then it builds up to the good, the good, the good, the good, good, good. And that's one where it's like, I don't care how much that they're spending. If I can keep seeing results like that, I'll throw money at it. And that's where most donors are. And I think that nonprofits can feel comfortable that if you tell the story and you market the right way, you don't have to worry about what your overhead is, what your salary is, what you're spending. Yeah. So as you said, it's strategic transparency and it's marketing. It's marketing. Marketing is sales at scale, right? Right. (laughs) Okay. Where can my listeners find you on the web? I love LinkedIn. Uh, So Tim Serantonio, just search for me. My company's Neon One, but uh, I try to put out a a value-driven newsletter on a weekly basis. For instance, in October, I broke down all the fears that that different audience segments have. So LinkedIn, primary. Uh, I am on Twitter. The big discussion is if people are leaving Twitter or not. I'm, I'm going to hang around there. But yeah, Tim or, Tim at neon1.com. You can drop me a line too. For now, I'll thank Tim for coming to the show. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Mikhail. Thanks for having me. And I want to thank the audience for listening to conversations about ethical problems in marketing and making our profession better. If you like this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it for now. And until next time, bye. Thank you.